1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. This is Angie, and today we will be talking all about a day in the life of a wildlife educator and handler. And I'm super excited to be hosting an expert on this topic. I have with me today Nicholas Petrick, who is an animal ambassador and educator at Animal Tales Tallahassee. And we will be discussing what what exactly it is an animal educator does why wildlife education is so important, and what steps to take if someone is interested in having such a cool and critically important job. So hello, Nick. Welcome to All Creatures Podcast. Thanks for being with me today. Hey, Angie. Thank
0: you for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. I've been listening for a while, and you, you guys rock with what you do, so I'm happy to be able to uh, have some input in, in the field and, and hopefully inspire some people as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you're inspiring to me because you reached out and an email, and since you're locally here in Florida, as as am I, about potentially collaborating on some things, and I got thinking, hey, who better to explain what an animal ambassador and educator does than somebody who's literally doing it day in and day out, and you are so kind to agree to help educate myself and listeners about what a day in the life is like uh, for you and your career, so yes, it's going to be a fun podcast, and we're going to learn a lot today, but before we get started, I wondered if you wanted to share a little bit about yourself and your background with our listeners.
0: Of course, absolutely. So I've been in Florida for, I don't know, too long now. Um, I grew up in South Florida. And growing up, I had a household cat was our, our family pet, and I couldn't really have much of anything else. So I was kind of devoid of the animal interaction that I really desperately wanted. And I don't even know Where it stemmed from, from such a young age, especially not having many pets, but I've always just had a passion for learning about wildlife and interacting with the outdoors as much as I could. I remember before going to school every day, watching Steve Irwin, The Crocodile Hunter on TV, uh, a few of my other idols as well, and kind of pretending like I was them growing up and I'd go out into the backyard and catch snakes to show my siblings or lizards or frogs or what have you. And uh, teach my siblings, friends, neighbors all about them.
1: That's so funny. Just today, my my young my little boys were catching lizards in the backyard. Most of, of them are invasive, so it's probably okay. Yeah. Uh, and they're nice to them and stuff. They just and they're so good at catching them that, and they don't hurt them or anything. But yeah. they're so good at catching them. And they rather they use a net or a box or just their hands that they've actually shown all the neighborhood kids how to do it. And they're like That's they're awesome. like the little. The, han- the guru lizard handlers and and they That's can tell awesome. them apart, male from female. And They're like teaching me because I'm a, I'm more I do the mammals, the things with right. like hooves and horns and right. stuff. Uh, so, but yeah, I can I really can see in them the this connection, right? Of like wanting to learn what they eat, what their habitat looks like, the different species, just just helping them be more curious about their natural world. That's
0: fantastic to hear. And then part of the reason we'll get into it in a little bit as well. But why I do what I do is is to be able to inspire these young kids and kind of see their reactions as I pull out an animal. And some of these kids blow me away with how much they already know from learning on the road. It, it's amazing. But it, it's cool to see kind of myself in them as well. Hopefully we'll have some of them grow up to be interested in this and kind of carry on the education.
1: Yeah. And so, Nick, besides the cat and the lizards and the snake and just all Florida wildlife that we have in our backyards right. here, do you have a favorite animal interaction story or a memorable moment from a lot of these experiences? So,
0: I wouldn't say necessarily one interaction that stuck out a bunch. My favorite animal is snakes in general. I don't have a favorite snake. I have, I don't know, 15 snakes here at home. I can't pick one. Um, but snakes are my favorite, and it, it always... Maybe very happy to find a snake that I could catch and show off, or if it was a venomous snake, these people safely stay away from it and how to properly live and coexist with them. but I know kind of more recently ish um I'm also a snake relocator here in town, and somebody called me for a banded water snake one day and if you've ever met a banded water snake or a water snake in general, you know they're very feisty
1: and and fast too right and
0: they can be fast, and I go into every interaction knowing I'm going to get bit. And normally it's once or twice, and they calm down. This snake—it was maybe a fifty-yard walk down to the lake from the person's house that it was at. Picked it up. It bit me the entire way down to the lake. I was dripping and scratches and bite marks everywhere. It was a mess. But again, non-venomous. I was fine.
1: I was going to say, and have you really lived if you haven't been bitten by a non-venomous snake?
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not <laughs> as bad as some people would think.
1: No, no. I, oh, for me, the iguana was that. Oh. That, Lizard bites are tough. Mm-hmm. Lizards are definitely next level. Uh so, yeah. but yeah, it's it is part of the job, and we're going to talk about that when we get to the the handling of portion of this podcast. But, but I'm 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 glad that you're such a snake fan because I I will want to talk a little bit more in depth too about snakes. Some of these species that uh, will often get a bad name for themselves, people will be more fearful for of them, and and so yeah, I'll definitely want to touch on how you how you deal with that. Of course, of course. But as we start to dive into the meat and bones of this podcast, uh, I was wondering if you could share with our listeners about your current job at Animal Tales Tallahassee, and what is the mi- the mission of the organization that you work for?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So here at Animal Tales, um, our main mission is to educate and inspire, and uh, unfortunately, um, there are some educators who do a great job at the education aspect and they're great at what they do. But we also bring an entertainment aspect to our presentations because we're dealing with a lot of time young children and their attention span is almost non-existent. Young children. I mean, (laughs) let me tell you about the college
1: age kids I teach. (laughs) That is also
0: very true.
1: I think in general, as a species, we are, uh, I don't know if it's uh, our cell phones or what, but yes, our attention spans are are, are, are more limited, I feel like, than and they used to be.
0: Getting diminishing every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so we try to make it fun and, and interactive as well. Um, so that at the end of the day, they had fun. They learned hopefully a few things and they can go home and share some of the facts they learned or tell their parents, you know, I saw this, this and this. Or maybe they were looking to get a pet and they realized, you know what, maybe it's not the right time for that animal because I can't properly care for it. So that's a big thing to go over as well. But again, we do birthday parties because kids love animals. So anywhere, anytime they can have animals come to their house, they're going to do it. And even the birthday parties are not as structured as a regular presentation because it's more fun and laid back. But again, we still are throwing facts out there constantly. They're still learning stuff. They get to have more of an up-close interaction as well since it is their house, uh, which is, again, something they can take back and they'll remember that for the rest of their life. Um, So birthday parties, school presentations, we go to all the county libraries every year, every summer, church camps, after school programs, you name it, we're there. But we have a few different regions. So I'm over the Tallahassee region here in the southeast uh, United States. So I cover Tallahassee all the way west to kind of Panama City, down to central Florida, as well as south Georgia and southeast Alabama. And then we have a Pensacola region that covers more Louisiana, more of Alabama, the rest of Florida. And then we have a Kentucky region, which covers Kentucky, Tennessee, and some of the surrounding states as well.
1: Well, I saw you up into Indiana, which i from Michigan, yep. but okay. I'll, I'll take Indiana as close. Very so. close. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yep. Yep. That was our first region, actually. And then we kind of split down and started doing the Florida and the Southeast.
1: Wonderful. Okay. So, so very much. Uh, All all over the map on the the central and um, southern United States, and eastern, I should say. Wow, that's wonderful. And you mentioned, as I'm picturing the birthday parties or the summer camps, I'm just wondering, Nick, if you could touch on some of your favorite colleagues, because I imagine they're not the same colleagues that I have in my office, (laughs) so...
0: Probably it, not, unless they're hopping around or slithering by.
1: Depends on if it's like a Monday or Friday. But, That's uh, fair. Okay. okay. So I wondered if you could touch on a little bit of some uh, some of the animals that you work with. And, of course. Uh, well, who they are. Do you have some favorites or any big personalities? Or, you know, we all have that colleague we can depend on. And we all have exactly. that colleague that, well, I don't know if I'd want to work on a group
0: project with them. Depends so, on the day, right? Hey,
1: right. Yeah. So I didn't know if you could maybe extrapolate on that a little bit.
0: Of course. Yeah. So here at Animal Tales Tallahassee, um, I all my animals, first of all, live with me. Uh, since we're a traveling exhibition, they all come back home with me every day. We don't have a facility that people can visit. So they all live with me, which makes their care a lot easier. I don't have to travel to um, to get to them and to take care of them. But I've got about 40 individuals, um, about 30 species that I work with here. And I've got everything from snakes lizards turtles and tortoises we got the reptiles covered i've got frogs and toads spiders and scorpions a few insects i've got an african gray parrot he's my only bird at the moment and of course people love the mammals so i have sugar gliders flemish giant rabbits which get massive the kids love them
1: i used to work with them yes at the children's zoo Mm -hmm.
0: speaking of personalities man (laughs) (laughs) i've got some prairie dogs and then our newest animal ambassador is a baby agile wallaby so he's going to be starting this summer But yeah, even within species, or like within snakes, you have individuals who are completely laid back, and I know I can pull this animal out, I can take him to a program, I'm going to have no issues. Kids can touch him, her, whatever, that's going to be fine. And then I have some snakes, for example, that I will take to maybe a demonstration program where they're not going to be touching the snake, because that snake's a little iffy sometimes. Or with the rabbit, you know, the rabbits are great, but summertime it gets really hot and they right. get very overheated very quickly. So if I have back-to-back programs a day during the summer, I might choose a mammal that's not going to uh, be at risk of having, you know, heat stroke or any of that, and that can tolerate the traveling in those conditions better. Um, so as I as I go through my day and get ready for programs, I pick animals day of. Um, I'll always... People will, can request animals, and the good news about having so many and some of the same family, like a bunch of snakes, is I can pick what snake I want to bring that day. If I go right. to pull out.
1: Okay, so they're not all going out every day, every all day, day Exactly,
0: exactly. And if somebody's not in the mood to go one day, I'll leave them right in their enclosure, give them some enrichment, and I'll find somebody else who is willing uh, to go out. Everything is voluntary. I don't force anything on anybody.
1: And, well, because I would imagine, too, is, like, some of them are introverts, some of them are extroverts. Probably some of them love the, love the lights, love the yep. shows, and other yep. ones are like, I'll do this. It's <laughs> fun for a little bit, and then, okay, enough is enough.
0: Yep, yep, the rabbits can be that way. Um, the wallaby thinks he's a dog because he goes around with my two Labradors. Um, he was inside and outside with them, so he loves the attention. He's just like they are. But, yeah, some of them aren't as big on it, and they'll do one program, and they'll be fine for a week.
1: Right, okay, well, that's really nice that, yeah, they have – the flexibility to uh to go or not go or as you said and, and and even me I'm an extrovert but I I have days where I'm like I need to just <laughs> stay home in bed and watch Netflix today and regroup yep. and so that's really cool that you can decide the day of if somebody exactly. is not is not either acting like themselves and, and 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 also too just to highlight as you mentioned that they they have their individual personalities that you as their caretaker and their handler uh really get a chance to know pretty intimately i would imagine
0: right yeah i mean i work with these guys day in and day out Uh, i try to be hands-on with almost every animal almost every day a big part of what i have to do is socialization with these animals i can't just get an animal not do anything with it expect them to behave at a program just fine so they have to get used to being handled they have to get used to going out in public slowly at first and if uh I go for a period of time without handling an animal; they might have a, a period of reversion where they, you know, aren't as comfortable anymore. So, the more I can pull them out, give them enrichment, um, interact with them, handle them, then the better they'll be as well. The more that the happier they'll be too.
1: Sure. And and with that being said, speaking of the of the animals and their their care and their welfare, I was wondering with these program animals. uh, When they're not with you or if they are seeming like they're off, uh, how does your organization ensure that their health and welfare needs are met and that they're enriched every day?
0: Of course. Um, So the good news about the flexibility with my job is I'm home every day um, for normally, I mean, whenever I'm not doing a program, so it's normally a decent amount of time. I can tell when issues arise pretty quickly, or if there are changes in personality, because again, I do know all 40 of my animals' personalities. And if something is off, uh, either myself or my wife can pick it up pretty quickly. So we'll keep a log of what's going on. If it's something that might be serious, we do have an exotic vet that is on call here in Tallahassee that works with, with us and our USDA license, who I can give a call to or a text to, and she'll kind of be like, hey, try this. Or yeah, maybe you need to bring him in, bring her in and see what's going on. But uh, as far as care, it's it's a daily a daily thing. It's a daily it task. It is,
1: yeah. It's not. I mean, that's it's not easy. That's a, it's, there's a lot of a husbandry uh, with exactly. that many, with different species and different hus- husbandry needs for different animals and all the diets and, uh, right. and, and nobody eats the that. same
0: thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yep. So daily, it's cleaning cages, feeding animals. Typically, the reptiles, especially the, the snakes, they only eat once every week or two. Um, a lot of them. So there, it's a little bit less uh, intricate, um, not as much as the mammals are. But I mean, their care gets done every day uh, as soon as I wake up. Currently with the baby wallaby, I'm up at six o'clock in the morning for his first bottle. I start my routine of going through, checking everybody, feeding, watering, cleaning. And then I don't go to bed until 11 o'clock at night because that's the wallaby's last bottle. (laughs) So all throughout then, whenever I'm not at a program, I'm home doing something animal related there are, of course, times when I take vacations. You know, me and my wife take vacations and we, we leave town. So we do have trusted people that have exotics that come to the house to watch the animals. Or, for example, the wallaby now, uh, in a few weeks, is going to stay with a friend of mine who also has her FWC license for exotics. Um, and she does really well, so she'll take them. So it's, it's easier and less on the, the home, in-home pet sitters. But you have to think about that as well, because somebody's got to take care of them when you're not home.
1: Yes, we talk a lot about that on the podcast as far as even uh, whether it's a zoo or a sanctuary is that you have to really make a plan, a, a long-term plan, a trust even as far as you know, something happens to me, what's going to happen to these animals or something the the money goes away at the zoo, now what? Wait. Will these animals always be cared for and be able to have food and, and all the things that they need in, in the unlikely event that something not great happens to me or something financially happens so exactly uh yeah and and i think too it brings up the interesting point uh as i was talking about my my sons that are always catching in the neighborhood kids are catching their lizards and and they either want to keep them or they're like are we are we can raise them and and i'm explaining to them like boys i've cared for reptiles it is not for the faint-hearted like it is hard to take care of really any animal even you know you're domestic pets like your dog and your cat you have to mm-hmm. put a lot of energy and time into them but especially when you start getting into birds and reptiles and exotic wild animals that haven't been domesticated for the most part uh, I mean you can maybe argue like a ball python or something like sure, that but sure. uh, that it's 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 not easy and uh, and then if you want to touch on a little bit too that you have to have this uh, special license as well right
0: yes exactly uh, so a lot of my animals actually don't need a license to keep so you can keep most snakes, for example, with no license, you can have rabbits. But as soon as you want to exhibit them, that's where the permits come into play. Gotcha. Uh, so even, and most people don't know this, but taking your bearded dragon down to the mailbox or taking your bunny to the pet store with you. Technically speaking, you need a, an exhibition license to do that because you're going out in public. So I do have my Fish and Wildlife Class 3 exhibition license for that. To exhibit the mammals, I have my USDA Class C exhibition license. And then for uh, the wallaby, some of your more exotic animals, you need a license to keep regardless. Some of the more common household pets, just to have them is fine. Once you start getting into some of the exhibition, taking them out and trying to do stuff with them, there's a whole lot of a whole lot more you got to think about. And, and those permits come with costs too. So you have the cost of feeding as well as the cost of permits.
1: Well, and I was going to ask, too, are the permits, is it something like a one and done? Or is it an annual permit or an inspection to get the licensing? How does that work?
0: Yeah, so um, with both permits, they do come and inspect your facility. They inspect all the enclosures, make sure your level of care and husbandry is up to standard. Uh, USDA is also responsible for maintaining and inspecting all your zoological facilities and other wildlife facilities, uh, as well as FWC. So they come in, they inspect everything, but you do have to renew every year. So that cost, you got to renew every year. You have to be inspected at least once a year. Although USDA is now going to a three-year system. Same price for three years, which will make it easier on both them and us. But yeah, it's a constant thing that you got to think about. And if you miss your renewal, then you've got to reapply for the entire thing.
1: Yes. And the FWC, that's our local state Florida Fish and Wildlife.
0: Correct. Conservation Commission.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes. So you lots of different entities that help make sure that these animals are cared for. And so to my children, if you're listening, no, you cannot just catch <laughs> lizards and, yep. and take yep. them to school. Uh, it's not that, it's not that simple and it takes it, it, a lot of care, a lot of thought and a lot of money goes into the care of these animals, which Nick leads me a little bit into, uh, shifting gears towards more of the programming and education components since you have these animals, you take great care of them, you're licensed to do it. You're an expert handler, you sleep, live, eat, and breathe (laughs) the welfare of these animals. Absolutely. So why do you do this? Why do you think that having this pretty uh, demanding lifestyle uh, is, is so important to help educate and excite and, and entertain people about animals? Why, of why is that so important?
0: It's it, it's so worth it too. It's very rewarding. And unfortunately, I'll bring up the snakes again. There's a lot of misinformation that goes around about wildlife in general. A lot of people are scared of snakes and spiders and things because yeah they're kind of creepy crawly. They're I mean they're they're different than your normal wildlife that that you come across on a daily basis, but they're also just misunderstood, and people spread false information about them. So the education is so important. Uh, I find that whenever I go and do these programs, typically kids aren't scared of anything for the most part. They'll do whatever you ask of them, but it's the adults who have the fear or the hesitation. And a lot of times when I ask them why, they really can't give me an answer. It's just something they've seen or they've been told or their parents were that way. And by the end of the program, most of them have either overcome that fear or at least a little better about it. They can get closer to the animal. A lot of them even touch the snake at the end. So, I mean, with technology being more and more prevalent, it could be a good thing. I mean, kids are watching wild and other educational animal shows on tv there's youtube channels with with educational stuff there's, there's awesome also,
1: podcasts out there there
0: are there are the all creatures podcast i heard it was amazing
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: um there, there's so much out there but only if you use it properly and if you find the right information and a lot of times also people are using technology for other things which is great it's very useful and it, it makes things a lot easier but they're getting away from that connection with the outdoors that we had when we were growing up. Um, I was always outside playing and exploring and looking at things. And I
1: remember being mad like when my mom would make me come in at, at dark. I was yeah, annoyed because well, the lightning bugs or the fireflies were out.
0: Exactly. All, all the fun stuff came mm-hmm, out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but you know, and kids don't experience that anymore. Even going out to dinner, you know, they've got their phones and tablets and things. And there's not much communication happening. So, I mean, the education is huge. I wish I could do more animal stuff and uh, have it, like, implemented into regular school curriculum. Not yes. enough time in the day for them to do I that. I know.
1: I, I, I wish I talk about that with the podcast. Of like, wow, we should figure out right. how to get this in K through 12 and work with teachers. And it's it's on our right. bucket list uh, to maybe write a grant or something. But, yes, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there should be more. The kids love it. I mean, there's studies out there showing that it's a great gateway introduction into science.
0: Exactly, and and part of the rewarding aspect of this too is again I work with people of all ages—college students, adults, children. It doesn't matter what the age range is. Just seeing their faces light up when I pull out a big snake, or when I pull out a wallaby, or even—I mean, like the the spider, um, the, the scorpion—they love it. And as I start to explain things, and speaking of overcoming fears, I can oftentimes see that shift in their brain happen on their face. I mean, people emit visual cues all the time, as same as most other animals. And just kind of watching that happen and knowing that they're excited and changing their their view on this animal or this species, uh, it's just, I don't know, it's life-changing.
1: Yeah, I agree, Nick, totally. I was lucky enough to uh, be an animal ambassador as, as a zookeeper but yeah. do a lot of education programs and talks, milking cow, milking goat demonstrations, cleaning pony hooves, yeah, all all armadillos, snakes, birds, all then of course mm-hmm. behind the scenes tours, and it was just always so interesting to see how yeah how people would change and they'd get softer and more interactive, but but especially when I was either milking the cows or when I was uh, if I'd be doing a a snake handling session or talk at the farm in the zoo and this was just with a corn snake you'd often get some kids uh preschoolers for second graders that are coming in from uh coming in from the city parts of the city in chicago that oh, yeah. have i mean not seen any wildlife for the most part right and, and and you get the ones that are scared as you mentioned and you get the oh this is icky or gross and so i was just wondering if you could share with our listeners a little bit of how what some of the the phrases, or how you might handle that during a program.
0: Of course. Um, yeah, I've, I've gotten all sorts of reactions. I bet you have. <laughs> uh, I mean, typically younger kids just scream. <laughs> mm-hmm. As soon mm-hmm. as I pull out a, a snake or something, they, they just scream. And um, I am very big on also having some rules during my presentations that I cover at the beginning. You know, we, we want to make sure we're super quiet so we don't scare the animals. I and make, I make it fun, too, so I'm like, if you, scare, if you scare the animals, they might jump on your friend's head or your teacher's head. And they love that, so we make sure to whisper, and we're super quiet. Um, so after this scream, we calm down pretty quickly. Then we start to talk about, you know, the different adaptations the animals have and why they look the way they do. So even though they may look gross per their standard, um, we talk about why they have what they have and why they have eight legs or why they have hairs all over their body. Or why their scales look a certain way. And so instead of just associating their look with they look weird, they will then associate the way they live their lives with with the way they look. So it's it's more of an educated mindset and view on the animal without the kids even knowing they're thinking that way.
1: Right. I love it. Yeah.
0: Then I also will will, mention, too, the kids will scream and they'll talk about, you know, is it going to bite me? Is it going to bite you? And I'll mention, you know, everything that has a mouth can bite. You guys can bite, too. Human bites are one of the worst bites you can get. But um, I'm not going to bring out an animal that's dangerous. Obviously, if I'm here with you guys, it's, we're, we're safe. My animals are socialized. They're going to behave. I know that. I've worked with them for a long time. So that calms them down, too.
1: Now, speaking a little bit, too, during your interactive programs, how do you ensure that the animals are safe uh, during a program? From either the screaming kids? And then, on on the contrary, how do you ensure that the public are safe if they are a little bit scared or if they're petting an animal, something like that?
0: Of course. So, when I go out to a program, typically there's about 10 feet of space between my table and the audience. Um, So, when I pull an animal out, I do maintain control the entire time. There are some instances and some species that will allow someone to come up and volunteer and touch the animal or help hold a black light over the scorpion or something. But I always watch the animals and their, their cues as well and their behavior. So if an animal does start to get a little uh, stressed out or maybe starts to get a little flighty, then I'll just end my talking on the animal a little bit earlier than I planned. And uh, we'll talk about, you know, how he wants to go back to sleep. We're going to go put him back in his enclosure and then we'll move on from there. But the, the the screaming normally doesn't bother most of the animals, like the, the spiders and snakes feel vibrations. But they can't hear much of anything, uh, but it doesn't tend to bother them. The mammals is what sometimes will can cause issues. But again, with me maintaining control over the animals, well, yeah, the setting the time, rules and the expectations exactly.
1: ahead of time, yeah,
0: one hundred percent. And
1: and so you have the animals out there, and you're working with with the public. Nick, how do you? How do you incorporate a conservation message into your program? Yeah,
0: I repeat the same phrase probably almost with every animal that I pull out. Um, So I'll pull out a spider. We'll talk about how spiders have fangs and venom and this, that, and the other. And I'll go, if you see a spider in the wild, should you touch it? Or what should you do? And the answer is leave it alone. Let them eat their bugs, do what they're supposed to do. And also with snake spiders, if you give them their space, they can't hurt you. So, a big part of it is just leave wild animals in the wild where they belong. Um, I do talk a little bit about rehabilitation as well. And if you find an injured animal, how to approach that. Because I also work for a rehabilitation agency here in town. So, I I rescue wildlife all the time. But, you know, getting them engaged with wildlife is step one in conservation. If they're not interested, they're not going to play a part in it whatsoever. So, get them interested, get them learning, you know, leave the wildlife alone, they're where they belong they were here first. You know, we took their homes. And then some things they can do to help encourage um, wildlife. So, you know, recycling is, is a big one. We'll keep their, their yard cleaned up. You know, don't leave toys laying around for snakes to hide under. It's safer for you guys and the snakes. And give the snakes um, a safe spot to go. But just to, um, things they can do kind of on a small scale level. Yeah, in their, their, backyard in their backyard. Or... Backyard, that... exactly. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not everybody can go plant trees in Madagascar. So... Sure
1: not this season but it is on my bucket list for oh, absolutely,
0: oh, 100% I want to go there I want to go there Australia Africa I got I got plans wow we're,
1: we're uh um <laughs> this week or next week we're covering covering uh Zanzibar on the oh, podcast wow. so I'm like oh I need Yes <laughs> absolutely but yeah it's not resource. ever yeah it's, it's good to start locally and learn what you can do and then or work with what you have and appreciate what you have respect what you what's in your backyard leave it alone that kind of mm-hmm. thing uh and take, help take care of it and then move on from there uh exactly. and, just, and just appreciating it and noticing the di- the differences and how lucky we are to have all this all these creatures in our in our parks or in our backyards or at our at our local accredited zoo or things like that. Right, so, right,
0: Yep, We're so, we're so very lucky to have all of that because a lot of people in a lot of places don't have any of that. Right. So right. I mean, when, when, when you do have that, you need to enjoy it and appreciate it.
1: And then Nick, I really want to ask this next question because when I was doing programs and granted that was not a big portion of my job, I, I primarily did just the husbandry and the care the animals i worked with and so i was never really trained as an animal ambassador or an educator earlier in my career luckily now thank goodness i have been but uh but more in academia and so you come to either a birthday party or a library i I mean i would say like a library where you could have kids that are five years old to like full-blown adults. And so something I personally struggled with when I was trying to get better at being an animal educator was talking with younger kids or just basically tailoring the program, the content of the program to the audience and their different levels of whether it's their age or just their, their background. So I was wondering if you could touch on how you approach that and uh, maybe some hacks you have or some tricks yeah
0: yeah absolutely it and that that can be very very tough to do i feel like for for anybody who does any sort of public speaking getting to know your audience and be able to read the crowd or know kind of your age range before you start uh, can have a huge impact on the outcome of whatever you're trying to do for me it's animal education and with, with the age ranges obviously younger kids um don't have the terminology that college-age kids have. So I try to get the ages before I go into a program. So when I go to schools, I did a uh, kindergarten and first grade today. Can't start talking in very high scientific terms and species and scientific names because they're, they're not going to remember any of that. They can't ma- maintain and hold on to that. It's just not possible. So we'll talk about, you know, um, the name of the snake. And it, it, it's the snake does it have legs, no, it doesn't have legs. What does it have instead? Oh, well, it's got scales. We'll talk about how it moves. Whereas if it's an older crowd, we'll talk about, you know, the skeleton and how many vertebrae they have. And that makes them flexible. And, and it's a very, uh, it's a much higher tier of elaboration in kind of these scientific aspects. Um, one of my favorite things to do is I work with the Prevet club here at Florida State University. And I love doing their talks because I can get as nerdy as I want to because they are <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> right there with me.
1: <laughs> well, and that's Chris and I on the podcast. And, yep. Uh, so, but I do work with uh, kids sometimes. Then when I'll do a special kids episode, and I've been, I've been figuring out how what ages and how to do And a lot of times for that. I, I'll, I like to. It helps. I think when they're younger to relate it back to them. So I'll be like well, where do you live? And then exactly. where does this animal live? Or what do you eat? Oh, you eat hamburgers? Well, this animal yep. would never eat meat. It only eats plants. And so taking it a little bit more. But when I'm on the podcast and I can talk about uh, being a pseudo-ruminant.
0: <laughs> 100%. Bring it.
1: Bring it. I mean, and then Chris <laughs> and I will you know, argue about how many chambers of stomachs and what makes a pseudo-ruminant. So, yep. yes, there yep. are I definitely different levels. And that that's what tends to be more my comfort zone. Uh, So whenever I do see uh, animal ambassadors out there working with young kids, I'm just like, hats off. You guys are (laughs) you guys are saints, your next level of patience. And (laughs) but 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 also really important because of course, I mean, I'm only the animal nerd that I am at my age because I was influenced at a young age by other people that were passionate about animals. And that's how my, it starts exactly. From my own family members to to the backyard to horses to, to all the things, and, and people were patient enough with me when I was younger to answer my questions and work with me. And so I, exactly. I see it as a, as a way to give back to the next generation. It's just it's not uh, for as extroverted as I am. It's not in <laughs> my it's not my natural wheelhouse. That's, yeah, that's for fair. sure. That's yeah,
0: fair. yeah. And like at, at, at library programs too, you have to learn how to kind of mix the two i guess because you can have like you said adults and and kids in the same program right so then you just you can start to you can throw in a little bit of the more advanced terminology that that the older people will understand but you still throw in um you know the the fun games and interactivity with the young kids to help keep them engaged and reading them is a whole another thing but attention spans Mm -hmm. um the adults that i go to i've done two hour long presentations just on snakes with adults before because they can handle that sure a five or six year old that's not going to happen so typically the the younger age programs are shorter because i don't want to tire them out or get them to a point where they're no longer retaining information they're no longer interested in i guess hearing what i have to say it's it's still like seeing the animals but you have to kind of gauge where they are at the entire time and and don't take it over the edge
1: which can be tough too yeah yeah there's a lot of a lot of, like you said, reading the room going on, which is definitely a skill set. Uh, even me, just when I'm giving a general lecture, I'm like, okay, there's a kid sleeping in the back. I better, <laughs> I better mix it up and do like a cartwheel or, yep, <laughs> or yep. something over here, you know? So, it's definitely, <laughs> exactly. it's, it's always a work in progress. That's for right, sure. Right,
0: right. Every program is different because it's different people. So I don't, right. even with the same animals, I don't say the same thing twice. I may skip over a fact at this program, do another fact at this program. Um, and I, I never know how it's going to play out. The fun thing about this is I don't have a script because my animals don't have a script. I kind of go based off of them, too. So if they do something cool, I'm like, oh, look at that. Here's what this was, and here's why they did it.
1: You're like... in you know what's so cool to the snake poop guys because it <laughs> only usually happens once or twice a month so you got that exactly. you were here when it happened you know that kind and of i thing. trained
0: him to do that he did that on command
1: exactly that's
0: like my, my african gray parrot i'm like i trained him to do that No, not really he has me more trained than i have him trained He's... a
1: hundred that's that's a whole other podcast for a different day a hundred percent yeah so uh but but speaking of your programs nick and yeah. uh and as you've uh, how many years have you been doing this
0: so I've been doing education in general for about four or five years now, and Animal Tales is fairly new to me. I've been doing Animal Tales for a year, um, I think a year this month, but I mean, they're they're great. I love the way they run everything. My boss is more of a friend than a boss. He's fantastic. Um, he also handles all the business side of things. He does all the bookings and the phone calls. I
1: just do the fun stuff. Oh, awesome. Yeah, it's that great. is great. <laughs> Because everybody's like that with the podcast with Chris and I, like, oh, you guys should do this marketing and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's not my expert. Like that's I can I can mm-hmm. could do it, but I don't really want to. I want right, to right. help us with it. Or. Yep, yep. So, no, that's I love that. Yeah. You don't have to do all the red tape paperwork and the filling out all. I would imagine filling out all those permits exactly. and all those takes things. the work out
0: of it for me. Yep. Mm-hmm,
1: yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but since you've been an animal educator for a while and, and an ambassador for animal tales, at least for a year. How have you been measuring the success of your programs, your education message, your conservation message? And then what feedback do you receive from the audience that helps, helps you shape the next show? Of course. So in th- the first way I know that a program or
0: presentation is going well is, again, those visual cues that I look for, reading the crowd and how they're responding to it. So all, the, all the bright smiles, um, the, the puzzled looks on faces sometimes as kids are processing information. But especially with the birthday parties is a lot of times I'll go to a birthday party and the, uh, the parent will go, oh, I was at so-and-so's birthday party and you were there. That's how I find out about you. So, I mean, that shows us that they liked us. They want to have us out. And somebody from that birthday party will probably book us in the future. Same thing with the library programs is being able to reach the entire community. We will get a lot of bookings from the library and they'll go, hey, we saw you at the library. We loved you. Want to have you out to our house. So uh, word of mouth is is a big thing, and we can see that based on how the bookings come in. Obviously, you have your slow times. You've got your busy times based on the year and the school year and everything. But uh, also just like verbal feedback at the end of a program, having parents or, or kids come up and say, oh, my favorite animal today was this, or um, a parent going, that was amazing. I never thought I would be as interested in watching animals as I was. Um, so kind of hearing that is is very reassuring, and I mean, there are some days where I run myself where I get doing programs. I'll do four or five programs in a day, and I'm exhausted. And I'm like, that was an awful program. You know, I missed this, this, and this. And then they come up at the end, and they're like, that was amazing. I loved it. Same as the first program, and it, it's it makes my day. I'm like, oh, good.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's awesome. And and it is feedback is really important. We always even talk about it on the podcast, like when you send us an email. And got the conversation going. I yeah. it got me all jazzed up again. I'm like, okay, I yeah. am on the right path, or this is working. And and so, but it, it is always good to kind of stop, take time to stop, smell the roses, reassess, and be like, okay. And then do it all again the next day. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah. But I mean, it
0: kind of, I mean, it reminds us why we do what we do, and and that we are, you know, being successful with our mission. So it's it, it's very nice.
1: Yeah. Well, it just so smiles and. Especially uh, with the podcast now, but then even before, when I and when I was interacting as a zookeeper in educational tours and behind the scenes tours or program, uh, different programs, I just always thought to myself, I mean, these kids that might be screaming about it, you know this cow being milked or whatever a snake that, yep. I'm like, you honestly n- never know who's going to be the next Jane Goodall. Exactly. And it could be this one interaction, this one, these five or 10 minutes that I have with them, getting them excited about the species or learning about something or why they should want to save it or uh, why they shouldn't be scared of it that could change their whole life and then help more animals, right? Exactly. That's my my lifelong mission is to help. Possibly help change the world. mm -hmm, Help as many animals as possible. And so now Animal Tales is is based in the Eastern United States, southeastern. Yep. But in general for we have a lot of international listeners, but of course plenty of listeners in, in the western part of the United States or yeah. uh areas where your company's not located. So I was just wondering if somebody is thinking, okay, I want to hire uh, an animal educator for the for my classroom. Like that is awesome. Uh we're kind of moving past COVID now. We're bringing people back into the classroom things like that, what questions should a teacher or a parent that wants to hire a company like this for a birthday party, what what questions should they ask for and look into to make sure that the group of people that they're working with have the expertise to ensure that basically the animals are being well cared for, that it's not just a quote-unquote roadside yeah, right. education Right, attraction kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah,
0: exactly. I mean, there are a few things that you should look for going into this, and it deals with both the animal and the people, too. Uh, You want to work with somebody who's professional, because even if they take great care of their animals, if they're not great with the public, you don't know how they're going to treat your kids. Um, So if they're not professional with you, over the phone, email, whatever it may be, who knows how they're going to be in person? You want to um, leave your kids, but with a lasting memory and a positive experience, Um, But with the animals, too, you want somebody, again, most states, every state is different, every country is different, but most areas do require some sort of permit to do education or do exhibition. Um, So you want to make sure that they are properly licensed if they need to be, and also that they have liability insurance. Because as much as I like to think I'm in control of my presentations, I typically am, but at the end of the day, anything can happen. A child could get bit by a snake. They might not even bleed, but if a parent hears that it could be a lawsuit. So you want to have that liability insurance as well. And uh, based off of their their reviews, their their social media presence, their website, you can generally gauge um, kind of the the quality of animal care and kind of seeing their enclosures and seeing them out and about um, how they're taken care of. You can always ask the presenter as well if you have questions about animal care. A good presenter a good educator who's doing the right things will have no issues answering your questions and and telling you whatever you need to know and vice versa too Uh, a big red flag for me uh, would be a educator that you're trying to hire not asking you many questions because they're going to want to know Mm -hmm. how many people are going to be there whether it's indoors or outdoors because time of year plays a huge part in that the age ranges because they're going to want to prepare as best they can as well for the animals and for the people. So if they're not asking those questions, they're not going to be very well prepared, or it could cause an animal to be in, in an environment that's not as suitable as it could be or as it should be.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, because those are, I think, several things that, that should be looked for. And again, if if one or two of those you know feels off, maybe try to find somebody else who's going who's to have a more positive experience And that way you are promoting somebody who is following the proper measures in animal care.
1: And so, Nick, uh, I always get a lot of people that are interested, of course, in anything related to animals job-wise. And we talk about being a zookeeper and we talk about being a conservationist in the field or a veterinarian. I mean, there's a lot of animal-related awesome jobs out there. Uh, But I was wondering if you could just share what a day in the life of a animal educator might look like i know you get up at six to bottle feed some animals and you go to bed yeah. uh, at 11 but yeah. in general and you don't have to do paperwork so that's a, right. definitely a plus Or <laughs> a lot of paperwork, right. of course i'm sure you have like records still stuff, some exactly of course never get away from it totally but no. what but somebody that's interested in a, in a, in a, a job like this uh what can you expect? And what is a, I know typical day is not, I use air quotes when I'm saying that, but what what does it look like?
0: Yeah. I mean, for the most part, I mean, some of the same things happen every day. And again, if you are somebody who's super passionate about what you do and you love working with animals, even though there is a lot of work with air quotes <laughs> that goes into this <laughs> that's more um, than just air quotes that's it's like <laughs> right right I mean, it, it is it is work but um it's it's fun and i don't really consider it work because every time i go to clean a cage i get to interact with an animal right So kind of it, it balances out but yeah so i wake up um kind of early right now i'm ready for these bottle feedings to be done we'll get there in a few months but first things first is i do kind of a quality check of everybody i, I like to lay eyes on everybody first thing in the morning because it has been however many hours through the night of uh, them hopefully sleeping or doing whatever they're doing. Um, So laying eyes on everybody, uh, giving fresh food, fresh water, first thing. That's when I look for those personality changes that hopefully don't, but might come up. So if an animal's not coming to greet me in the morning as they normally do, that can be a red flag of something to kind of keep an eye on and write in the log. Um, So that's first thing in the morning, feeding, preparing diets, watering. Uh, Then I will look through and see what programs I have for the day. If I have any, I'll try and pick and choose what animals I'm going to bring out and take with me, make sure my supplies are ready. also do kind of quality checks on my supplies because I have like speakers and things and microphones. So I have to make sure they're working properly, make sure I have batteries, if I need batteries. I've gotten to a program before and my mic wasn't working, wasn't fun to deal with. So things to check before I even leave the house for a program. Any cleaning of enclosures will also happen throughout the day. Uh, snake poop is smelly. It's not fun to deal with, Very but I can try to get it as soon as I can. <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, but cleaning cages. um, and Then also handling in that socialization that we talked about. If I have some free time, I pull out an animal to sit with me while I, I work on some stuff. Uh, or even taking a break from cleaning a cage, I'll hold a snake for a few minutes. That way they don't kind of revert back to not being as social, which is not wanted for a program. That's basically it. Uh, handling the animals, feeding and cleaning, and then going to whatever programs I go to. Uh, always making sure my, my paperwork is current. So even though my boss handles a lot of the booking paperwork, I do have to maintain my own individual licenses. Mm-hmm. So um, I've got to keep records on hand, vet records, and acquisition records on hand for all the animals, as well as uh, like emergency plans. So I have emergency plans posted throughout the animal rooms at the house. Um, if anything were to happen, kind of what to do. I'm um, just kind of maintaining all of that as well.
1: And then you would load whoever up. I mean, how many yep. creatures do you usually take? I mean, it probably depends on where you're going, right? Whether you take two or seven. Right. It depends. So mm-hmm. most of them, on average, it's about six animals that people okay. can choose. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so we'll load up the
0: animals. And I do travel sometimes up to four hours away. Okay. So I make sure the car has the AC going. and It's nice and cool to begin with. Absolutely. Especially here in Florida. In summertime mm-hmm. is brutal. Um, so we'll load them up. We'll drive to whatever program we're doing. Sometimes we have back-to-back programs. Um, So as soon as one is wrapped up, we're back in the car, heading to a new location, heading back. So when I get to a program, I'm sorry, I'm backtracking now, um, the animals get taken out of the car last so that they're in the AC as long as they can be, and they get put in the car last. So I'll start my car after a program, get the AC going, put all my supplies in first, by the time they're ready to go when it's nice and cool. It's
1: just like my children.
0: Yep. <laughs> they, just
1: the other day, they're like, it's so hot. And right. I'm like, it's February. We're, just this way. is not hot. <laughs> just wait. Exactly.
0: Just way. Especially being where you're at. I, mean, I, I at least have somewhat of a temperature change. I mean, it still gets really hot, but it's brutal down there. Yeah. Um, but we, we go to our programs. I do quality checks also. Before I get to a program or before, before I start a program, um, I'll check on all the animals, make sure they traveled okay. Make sure they didn't have any issues in transit. Uh, if they went to the bathroom, they clean it up before we start, because that's a mess to deal with uh, unexpectedly. And then at the end of all of that, we come back home. They go back into their enclosures. They all get treats for doing such a good job. And then uh, got to put the travel containers away. So travel containers could be large, like um, dog crate for the rabbit, um, a smaller container for a, a spider or, or tarantula or something. And if they pooped in the enclosure or the transport container, gotta clean it out, wash it, sanitize it, so it's ready to go for next time.
1: Yeah, that sounds. I remember those days. Yes, <laughs> yep, definitely yep. clean and I, poop and <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yes, because when I worked at the children's zoo, that was our pro. Uh, that was like basically our programmatic department. So yeah, I, uh, I didn't get to go out to all the different schools and things like that. Okay, there was a job specifically just for that. Uh, but I was the keeper behind scenes that would interact with the the animal educators and ambassadors that would go out and uh, yeah oh, it, was, nice. it was it was it was I learned a lot and and I and I I tagged along a couple times too because I I was thinking that that would be a fun route for me to go down uh, yeah, yeah in my career awesome. so speaking of that Nick when if you do have someone that's interested in being an animal educator or an animal ab- ambassador. Obviously, you specialize and you're an expert both in the zookeeping side of it or the 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 husbandry, if you will, side of caring for these animals. uh, But then also being the educational expert and ambassador. What along the lines as an education ambassador, what advice do you have for somebody who thinks that they would want to fall into your shoes and do something like you're doing, uh, either being on stage with an animal or teaching people about? Uh, animals in a programmatic sense, whether it's at a zoo or a private company or an aquarium yeah. or something similar. What, what yeah. advice do you have? How did you get to where you're at?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So my advice, and I tell all my all my kids and set my programs, is learn as much as you can. If you're interested in animals, we have so many resources out there. Learn as much as you can, and when you're old enough, a lot of places do have an age limit. But just start trying to get some experience. And you do have those two sides of working with animals and people you can either do the husbandry and behind the scenes things and some of the socialization and cleaning feeding watering uh, which there's there's a niche for that or if you really like interacting with the public and talking to people maybe the actual physical outreach is more your thing or maybe you want to do both who knows but the only way to find out is to actually do it Uh, so i would first off start with the animal handling and husbandry and We have nature centers all over the place. We have zoos everywhere, um, or almost everywhere. Um, So find somewhere near you that you can go to and volunteer at. Even if it's a small wildlife refuge, maybe they have three or four educational animals. See if you can volunteer with them. Kind of learn some behind the scenes of what they do and uh, get some of that hands-on animal interaction experience um, or cleaning. Or you can go to a bigger facility. The biggest thing is being able to work with a variety of animals, because every animal, every species you handle differently requires a different mentality as well. And being in an education and trying to have people overcome their fears, you really can't show any fear when you're doing this. So you have to kind of be okay with the wide variety of animals and be able to overcome any hesitations that you might have, which as you work with them will happen naturally. You'll get better about it. But just the more experience you can get, I've worked at several nature centers. Uh, I've worked at an aquarium as well. And I love aquatic wildlife. I like terrestrial more because there's more interactivity you can have with them. Obviously, I can't take nurse sharks to my programs with me. But again, aquariums are great places to volunteer as well. There's wealth of information there, a lot of different techniques you can learn and experience as well.
1: Well, and Nick, you're so well-spoken and obviously an animal educator because you've been educating me for the last hour and all of our listeners, and you, you, you know how to spin on a dime, be flexible, yep. read, your, read the room, public speaking, a lot of skills. And, I, and as somebody who has dabbled in this and then, of course, now as a teacher and a podcaster, I mean, it is a skill set. It so, is. So I was just wondering if, if you could just talk a little bit more about how you learned that. Did you have a mentor at the, either the aquarium or maybe where you're at now? Do they yeah. give you a script? I mean, how do you, or is it just, is it just like over time you just, you just learn to get better at it? So
0: kind of a combination. Believe it or not, growing up, well, not growing up personally, but like in high school and middle school, I was very much so an introvert. This was not my personality. I kind of kept to myself. I love the wildlife. I'd go sit out in the woods more than I talk with people. Hmm. But over the years, with me being so passionate about the animals and trying to not correct people, but educate people, um, it kind of forced me to be more outspoken. And also at these different facilities I volunteered at and worked at, they typically had somebody who has been doing this for longer than I have. So they were there to kind of mentor you and kind of, show you the ropes of how to do things. I I shadowed many people, um, many educators at different facilities for a while before I started feeling comfortable enough to lead my own tours or or, or do my own talks. And even now, five years later, I still learn things every day. Um, Every program I do, I'm like, oh, I could have done that differently. Or I could have said this. So it's always a work in progress. And don't ever think you can't do if if you have, have a passion for it, you want to do it, only you can make it happen. And again, just the, the exposure and doing it repeatedly, even if you think you're no good at it, I guarantee you someone's going to get something out of it and you're going to learn something along the way. That, that's how we all get to where we are.
1: Yeah, Nick. I mean, I just got goosebumps because, I mean, you just said such a great point as far as just because maybe something's not your first natural instinct or maybe maybe you're not an extrovert. Maybe you're an introvert. Uh, or maybe you don 't like public speaking and i don 't know really who does like public speaking the first right. time until you learn <laughs> until you learn that 's a skill set and you exactly. learn there is a a better way to do it an easier way to do, it, and it gets easier over time, but it 's just so important to know that and if you if the passion drives you uh to just keep listening to it and, and keep getting mentors and have people coach you and work with you i mean for instance, i of course typical animal kid. I want to be a vet. I want to be a vet. And so that was me too. (laughs) And, and there's nothing, I mean, that's a, it's a great job. And, uh, but I shadowed a horse vet for a while and I just, and it just, I, I, it just realized for me, it really, it didn't really work out. And some of it, what for me personally was, um, I'm a little bit of a, like I, I get a woozy stomach with blood and that kind of stuff. The same way. Yep. And so, but I didn't let it stop me and uh, and, I, and I knew that that wasn't the right path for me. And then fast forward many years later when I became a zookeeper and we have, we would help assist the vets. So there is some vet okay. tech aspect to it. And, you know, there was I, a surgery we were working on with an Arabian oryx, and, and it was very routine surgery as I guess as routine as it can be if it's an Arabian orcs, right. but <laughs> different, that's a different story. But. It wasn't anything too gory or anything and I'll never forget uh the vet looked at me and she said, "You know, Angie, come here for a second because there's tons of us techs and assistants around." Mm-hmm. And she's like, "You're looking a little white." She's like, "Just sit down and eat some oranges or eat some She had a granola bar." Yeah. And she's like, "Listen, it's your blood sugar. You just got to keep your she's like if she's like if if you feel a little faint or whatever, just keep your blood sugar high." And so anyway, she taught me that trick Twenty years ago, 15, wow. 20 years ago, and now, whenever if I'm doing something because in, in my own classes or uh, for graduate school, I had to full out twenty mares, and it'd be oh, I'd man. get the call from the assess, assistant. It's three a.m. and 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 her and the mare's water just broke. Yeah, uh, time to I was basically like a full midwife, and I would be putting on my boots and eating a granola bar, and the mare Smart. would be foaling out, and I would be eating. The students are like, "How are you <laughs> eating right now?" And I'm like, "Because if I don't eat right now, I will be like laid out."
0: On the floor. <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. yep. Well, and that's then, amazing. and then come
1: to find the more I talk about, you know, surgeons have it. Like they just, it's just, it's wow. learning to work through some of these obstacles that you may have of your, you know, your own physiology, your own right. behavior, your own personality. But when you are passionate about something, you can find the right mentors, the right coaches, uh, the right tricks or the right hacks to, to to be able to get better and hone your craft to to where, I mean. Like to me, you could be a professional TED Talk speaker. I, I would never I would never <laughs> right. know that, that you don't love the right. stage or that you would you know, that wouldn't be the first thing that you wanted to do all the time. So exactly. Uh, so, no, I appreciate that message. And you
0: you uh, always you always end up where you're supposed to be, too.
1: Yeah. You, it,
0: and I don't know how it works, but it, it works that way. So, I mean, I, I went through the vet stage. That was my first kind of career goal. Same thing completely random times I'll get a woozy stomach looking at something or doing something medical related. And it's it's never the same thing twice. I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's not for me. So we moved on. Um I had a commercial pilot phase. I was gonna go be a pilot. Um I love aviation as well.
1: That would be a fun side hobby of mine if I that had was, money and it's, time. Mm-hmm. It's
0: exact money and time, which I did not have.
1: <laughs> so
0: <laughs> I we went keep out the doing window.
1: Animals will never have <laughs> exactly
0: exactly <laughs> Yeah. And then um I actually went to school for criminology, so nothing animal related at all. I wanted to be a police officer. That didn't work out at this time. And then that happened. Then I went to work for Fish and Wildlife, Florida Fish and Wildlife here. Um kind of got to combine my law enforcement passion with the animals. And somehow I ended up in the education field. Um I kept pursuing that and I, I started my own company at one point before I had a chance to join Animal Tales. Um but I don't know how it worked out this way, but I ended up right exactly where I've always wanted to be, and I've gone kind of full circle or beaten around the bush, and I ended right back here. And I wouldn't yeah. change it for the world.
1: Oh no, I love that, Nick. I agree, and and it's it's evolution. I mean, you're still young. Too, it is. So that, I, there, there'll be there'll be other uh, other metamorphoses as well. Of course. Of course. Uh, but I think it's just knowing that you can you can do that, and and that your passion your passion for animals, your passion for education. And conservation is what shines through and that definitely, I'm sure, uh, is very clear to anybody that you're running a program for. These birthday party kids, these libraries, the public is lucky to have you out there helping them learn more to appreciate wildlife, not be scared of wildlife, uh, and to connect with them. That's the Mm -hmm. the biggest thing is Mm -hmm. the connection that you're providing. For so many people. And so, thank you so much. And course, uh, thank you. It's been a real pleasure talking to you today and learning more about your job at Animal Tales and what it takes to be an animal educator and ambassador. So,
0: absolutely. My pleasure.
1: And, Nick, my last question is if somebody does want to learn more about Animal Tales or the education services that you provide, uh, do you have a website or any social media where they could follow you to learn more about Animal Tales Tallahassee? We do.
0: Absolutely. And again, we have the, the Kentucky and Southeast regions. If you go to com instead of education, it's com, you can see both of our, both of our regions on there. And if you really want to learn or see more of us and meet some of our ambassadors, but you don't live in one of our regions, we do offer virtual programs as well. So you can book a virtual program. It's live. We talk face-to-face. Um, you get that full interactive experience, as you would at an in-person program. It's a blast. We love doing them. Um, if you have Facebook, we're also on Facebook, Animal Tales LLC. You can see a lot of our posts and some of our ambassadors on there as well.
1: Awesome. And we'll put all that on our show notes as well. So. Awesome. But thank you, Nick. Thank you for your time. And uh, we'll definitely be in touch. And I can't wait to follow you guys on social media to to, to see some of your colleagues and of course, uh, compare of them to my colleagues and see who's <laughs> <laughs> right. you know, I love my colleagues like I don't I don't have that many of them they're great Chris is great he's a great colleague Absolutely. I don't I don't think he's as is maybe not as fluffy as a, a Flemish giant <laughs> uh, or as smooth as a ball python but he's pretty cool right, so right. Uh, but yes but thank you for your time and of everybody course. check out uh or once again follow animal tales LLC on Facebook And uh, thank you so much for your time, Nick. We really appreciate talking with you today.
0: Yes, same here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure.